Many people have a cardboard box sitting up on the wardrobe, a wooden chest on the floor, or an old tin tucked safely away filled with knickknacks, newspaper clippings, magazines, or photos of a time gone by. Bring down the box, open the tin, and rifle through the contents. I'm Jessica Barrett, and you're listening to The Dusty Box. Join me as we sweep away the cobwebs, blow away the dust, and uncover the stories of the past. I have something which Australia has been wanting for a long time. A contract with the WNDF service, the largest film distributors in England, for six Australian pictures for screening in England. Harry Southwell's announcement on the 11th of February 1926, while aboard the Commonwealth Mail steamer Esperance Bay, came as a surprise to Australians, but was nevertheless excitedly received. An Australian film industry to rival the Americans. He further decided to base himself in Western Australia. Was Perth destined to become the new Hollywood? The films had to have a minimum length of 6,000 feet, be uniquely Australian and contain Australian scenery, sentiment and types. Footage of the outback was particularly popular in England and it was noted there was no better setting than that afforded by the magnificent scenery of Western Australia. Before filming began, locations were scouted. In April 1926, Harry and his wife Madeline, who once lived in Perth, visited many of the beauty spots in and around the metropolis. Along with visiting beauty spots, they had to find a filming location in Perth. They settled on White City, an open-air amusement park that the Western Australian government loaned to them. The sets and lighting equipment were constructed and installed within the park at the foot of William Street. A company named Anglo-Australian Films was established and in May the prospectus was issued. A capital of £12,000 was required and divided into 12,000 shares. There were 6,000 shares available for public subscription and 4,700 shares held in reserve. Harry kept aside 1,300 shares for when a London buyer accepted the first film. Establishing the company and producing the first film were expected to cost no more than £4,500. If the film was up to the required standard, a sum of £3,000 was payable immediately by the London buyer. For those wishing to invest and wanting to know the details of the financial return, it was estimated that a film could make £25,000 to £30,000. Soon the industry should be in full blast. Mr Southwell finds that the atmosphere of Perth is splendidly adapted for the purely photographic portion of the work, for in this favoured clime it is possible practically to take pictures all the year round. In July the leading lady was announced. Ivy Deacon of Mount Lawley, choosing the stage name Lynette Lawrence, was to star alongside Harry, who was playing the leading man, Walter Nabby Nabbage. Locals also filled the other roles. They included Alexander Lawson Weir, Nabby's friend, Herbert Millard, the station manager, Albert Raven, the station manager's son, Alex Porter, the station director, Cuthbert Porter, the overseer of sheep paddocks, Nancy Mills, Jimmy Hale, James Hennessy, the doctor, and John Southwell. 
The film was to be called Down Under, and one of the crucial aspects of it was the outback scenery. At the invitation of John Wood and Alex Porter of Earlestown Station, Harry, accompanied by a small group of people, travelled from Perth to Kalgoorlie via the express train. They then went on to Laverton and were driven to Earlestown Station to conduct preliminary work. Satisfied with its suitability, they returned to Perth to start filming. On Tuesday the 17th of August 1926, the first scenes were filmed at the trotting track with the permission of the Western Australian Trotting Association and the Western Australian Cricket Association. The race started at 10am and members of the public were invited to attend as extras. The weather was dull and cloudy, but it was said to be ideal for the effect they were hoping to achieve. The particular feature of the story, which introduces the trots, is brought about by a visiting American who owns a wonderful trotter, challenging the hero, who also possesses a performer of no mean ability, to a race for a substantial side wager. Cameraman Lacey Percival and Cliff Thomas were positioned at different spots on the track to enable them to film various parts of the race. To film the last straight, Lacey and his camera were strapped into a car and it raced down the track just ahead of the horses. As the car rounded a corner, it was reported that Lacey came close to being thrown out. On Saturday, filming continued at the trotting track and involved stirring scenes. An older man and woman abused Harry and he delivered some strong language in return. Not long after, a violent struggle ending in the dust erupted between two other men. These moments were nothing more than shots for Down Under. A reporter for the West Australian proclaimed that if other scenes were equally as exciting, then the film should be a thriller. Throughout the next month, cast and crew shot footage on location in Kings Park, Government Gardens, Mundaring Weir and Serpentine Falls. On the 21st of September 1926, they travelled northwest to Laverton to begin shooting the outback scenes at Earlestown Station. The first few days involved filming scenes incidental to the underlying theme of the movie. They spent some time finding the perfect location and then instructed Stockman to muster over a thousand head of cattle for the shots. The first work was done on the sheep run where shearing was in progress and where several exciting incidents were worked into the scenario. A large herd of cattle was mustered and droving and branding were given their part in the story. In addition to filming on Earlestown Station, they shot footage at Harry Raven's King of Creation Mine as well as at Laverton, where Wongi people performed ceremonial dances. The West Australian reported, With the cooperation of the local police, a corroboree was called at Laverton, and for days native fires were to be seen gradually drawing nearer until on Tuesday in last week, the whole of Laverton turned out to witness the camera at work. The weather throughout filming was considered ideal, and while there were some issues with dust when the cattle were branded, overall it was thought to have added atmosphere to the final shot. Filming concluded with a house party at Harry Raven's home, where 79 guests had a most enjoyable time. It also enabled the cinematographers to shoot the final outback scenes for inclusion in the film. A total of 85 scenes were shot in the Laverton district, with the most beautiful said to be of a pool on Earlestown Station near the Granites. On the 7th of October, the cast and crew caught the train back to Perth. They developed the film 
and shot more footage on the set at White City. A reporter from the Daily News interviewed Harry at the end of October. He was grateful for the hospitality and assistance provided to him in the North. When asked about the progress of the film, he said, The picture is going along famously and I am absolutely confident of its success throughout Great Britain and Australia. In November 1926, cinematographers filmed the final scenes in Kings Park. A reporter from Truth was invited to watch and they interviewed Harry in makeup and dressed in character as Nabby. Unconcerned about spoilers, the newspaper printed the entire plot. The atmosphere of the picture is all West Australian and the story is a clean, romantic tale of the great out-of-doors such as might have been written by Adam Lindsay Gordon or Henry Lawson himself. The story was about the life of Walter Nabby Nabbage, an English aristocrat who immigrated to Western Australia. He gambled and drank too much, but he was popular with Perth people. When he met the daughter of an old trotting trainer, he fell in love and started attending the trots. Meeting the trainer's daughter and taking an interest in trotting did not change his gambling habits. During one race, he bet £500 that the old trainer's horse would beat an American's horse. He won the bet, went on a drinking binge, and then went to see the woman he loved while intoxicated. She was horrified, and Nabby left, feeling ashamed of himself. The next morning, he decided to toss a coin. Heads he will go to her, tails, well, that way lies the flask and ultimate damnation and the coin falls tails. He chose the flask. The years passed, his wealth diminished and he lived the life of a swagman. While sitting under a tree in the outback, he threw his flask in frustration. It awoke a lost child who had been sleeping nearby. Nabby returned him to his home. Grateful, the boy's father, who was the station owner, offered him a job. Nabby accepted it, but only after tossing a coin. While working at the station, Nabby met the station owner's wife. It was the woman he had loved so long ago, and the little boy was her son. Desperate to redeem himself, he decided to devote his life to the child. Nabby and the child grew close. On the mother's deathbed, she entrusted Nabby with the care of her son. He did his best, but unfortunately, one day the boy wandered off into a herd of stampeding cattle and was injured. There was only one hope of saving him. A doctor who lived seven miles away if Nabby went around the ford, or half a mile away if Nabby jumped across the deep and dangerous creek. On horseback, he chose to jump. The horse shied, and Nabby fell. He crawled out of the creek with extensive injuries and dragged himself to the doctor's home. Upon his arrival, Nabby worried that the doctor might try to help him instead of the boy. He wrote a note and acted drunk in order to trick him. The doctor was fooled and he immediately left to save the boy. When he returned, he found Nabby by the creek and near death. He is almost gone when they reach him, but he still thinks of the boy. He wants to know what was the first thing the boy said on recovering consciousness. Where's Nabby? They told him. That was his reward. It is in his last moments that his real identity is disclosed. The filming wrapped and many people considered that the story and the film would be a credit to Western Australia. The mission was to show Australia in a broader and more romantic light to the people of England 
and let them see the country and its great spirit for themselves. While there was enthusiasm for the film, an article in Truth indicates that it also had its share of critics. In particular, one person writing to the Mirror took great offence at the name of the film and described the term Down Under as an old cockney bogey that civilised people should be ashamed to mention. They also criticised the scenes and places shot for the film, referring to them as a hot potch of scenery and incidents. It is not known if such criticism affected Harry. He was, however, plagued with continual delays. On the 25th of January 1927, Harry announced that the film should be ready to screen in early February. In mid-February, the film was still not complete. Regardless, a reporter for the West Australian had seen some samples and stated that the photography leaves nothing to be desired. It appears to be clear and consistent throughout, and the taking of some of the scenes, such as those of a cattle stampede in a trotting race, which are important features of the story, must have involved a considerable degree of skill and patience on the part of the photographer. Finally, on the 22nd of March 1927, Down Under was screened privately at the Prince of Wales Theatre in Perth. The audience consisted of the Governor, Sir William Campion, Lady Campion, the shareholders of Anglo-Australian Films, members of the film trade, the press and other guests. High praise was bestowed upon the film as well as the actors within it. At the end of the screening, the audience erupted into hearty and spontaneous applause and quite a few people looked visibly moved. While Down Under was a feature film for entertainment purposes, there was also a desire that it should be used to promote Western Australia. Opening scenes showed the Premier's secretary, Louis Shapcott, drawing Premier Philip Collier's attention to a book about the great story of Western Australia. Persuaded, the Premier opened it and the film began. As well as being about Nabby, there was ample opportunity to highlight the various industries in the state. It is not known if Harry envisioned the film starting that way or if there was outside encouragement for its inclusion. The Western Australian government had endorsed the fledgling film industry with an emphasis on films showing the state's industries and generally depicting life in Western Australia for screening in Great Britain. Perhaps that opening was agreed upon as the stamp showing the government's endorsement. After the film was screened privately in Perth, it was sent to England for final editing touches. Hopes that it would be picked up for screening in Great Britain and would screen simultaneously in Western Australia soon faded. There was no publicity for the film in English newspapers throughout 1927, 1928 or 1929. One would assume that meant that Harry Southwell or his representative was unable to obtain a London buyer for Western Australia's first feature film. What happened to Down Under after filming wrapped and editing was completed was a mystery even to those in Perth. In 1927 and 1928, Truth twice asked, where's Down Under? The film had seemingly vanished and no one had any answers as to what had become of it. Three years had passed since filming began in 1926. Finally, Down Under re-emerged and Western Australians were given the opportunity to view Westralia's first movie production. For three days in September 1929, the Hoyt's Majestic Theatre in Perth played the film. 
Following that, it showed at Fremantle, Pingerley and Collie. After Down Under played in 1929, it once again fell into obscurity. While I was able to piece together some of the film's history, large gaps and questions remain. What is clear is that it did not achieve the level of success that was hoped for. The reasons can only be speculated. Was it the story or the acting? Was the film skewed towards publicity for Western Australia, which affected the outcome? Did Harry Southwell oversell the English market for the film? Without watching the film, we can't fairly criticise it. Without more information or records, we can't say for sure why it was unsuccessful. Harry Southwell never produced the other five films that were expected. In November 1930, Anglo-Australian films entered voluntary liquidation and in May 1931, the negative and reconstructed positive of the WA-produced film Down Under was offered for sale by tender. There are no details about the buyer. We have no knowledge as to where the film ended up. No copy of Down Under appears to have survived. According to the National Film and Sound Archive, it remains one of Australia's lost films. <laughs>